Today's scripture reading is from Acts 15, verses 36 to 41. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers and the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, good morning. It's uh, good to see you all here. If you're new or you've been coming the last couple weeks, and uh, haven't met me yet or haven't got to meet you. My name is Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson. And uh, just a heads up or kind of if you're new again or you haven't heard me before, I have a stutter, a uh, speech impediment. So it'll kind of come in and out as we go. And just want to want to let you all know what that is. So you have a heads up on that. And um, yeah, we I was actually in Guatemala with a group of us of uh, 15 of us uh, went to Guatemala uh, last week. So we were gone for two Sundays, and we got back around this time last Sunday, and uh, we had a great time. Actually, next week, we're going to get to hear more about that. Um, actually, David, who you just um, heard, who was just up here, he uh, uh, headed up the trip, and uh, again, a number of us went and had an incredible time. Uh, really good to be back. I actually lost my voice while there, and um, until like Wednesday or Thursday, I didn't have a voice. So I got a stutter, lost my voice. It was going to be a rough Sunday, but thank God, voice came back. Still got the stutter, but, um, but we'll see um, how it goes. A couple things that I learned there. One is I lost my voice because we had to cheer every time we ate because we were broken up into different groups with a bunch of kids. And so a lot of us lost our voice. And I was like, why did we lose our voices. And someone's like, well, do you normally have to like cheer for a half an hour to eat every day? And so that was a like, good point. Um, so wasn't used to that. A couple other things though, again, we'll share more of the details, but one thing I noticed, so we would play intense soccer all day long. These kids ages like 10 to 13 would play hardcore soccer all day, sweating. It's humid. The dry heat thing is real, guys. It's rough, but here, it's yes, it's like an oven, but the humidity is a whole nother world. I was not used to that. So we got some things to be thankful for with the dryness. But also, those kids go hard. Like at the end of the day, it's a more charismatic kind of group that we're with. And the, the church services at the end of the day, again, wake up at 6, work out, and we'd be going into the early hours of the morning sometimes. So we got some work to do here. I know sometimes we're like a couple minutes over, and I'm getting like looks from people. <laughs> My wife's like doing this, people are doing this, and we could grow a little bit from our Latin American brothers and sisters in uh, how to, you know, how to enter into what the Lord's doing. Amen? Okay, so um, that's it. We got some time to get into God's word. Um, if you have a Bible, turn. I, I sort of forgot where we were at in this process, but get. Uh, hey, I've been gone for a couple weeks. Thank you for the grace. Um, but it is. It's just good to be back. This is home, and, and I missed being um, with you all. Thank God, though, we had some some people. Jared and then my friend Shannon filled in last week and just did a great job. So it's so so good to see God's work continuing, and good to be back 
with us. Um, so go ahead and meet me in Acts chapter 15, uh, beginning verse 36. We'll be in uh, 1536 through chapter 16, verse 5. If you don't have a Bible, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up, and somebody will get you a Bible. So hold it up, keep it up, someone will bring you a Bible. Don't be ashamed. It's good. I see someone wincing. No need for that. Um, uh, if you don't own a Bible, you do now. Okay, keep this one. Make it your own. Put your name in it. Um, keep it. Um, también, si quieres la Biblia en español y no tienes, por favor, levanta su mano y diga español. Y si no tienes una Biblia, eso es un regalo a usted. Um, y esta mañana estamos en Hechos capítulo 15 y 16. Some of you guys might have noticed that got a little better after a week in Guatemala. <laughs> so you could go too next year and uh, learn with me. Um, so that's it again. We want everyone to have a Bible because we're getting in our time in Acts. We've been in it for the majority of the year thus far and we'll be in it um, into the fall. And really the big idea is we get to see God and his works on display. Acts means work. And it's the work or the acts of God in and through his people. So with that, let's pray that he would open our eyes and our hearts to see and respond rightly to him. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for air conditioning. And thank you for uh, an opportunity to come wherever we're coming from to be together with others and to stop, to settle in, and to see you on display through your word. So we pray and trust that you will open our eyes and our ears and our hearts and empower us through the Holy Spirit whom you've sent, Lord, to respond rightly, to be transformed and informed and to be shaped individually and corporately as your people. So we thank you for this time. Thank you for what you have up ahead for us as we spend time in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so pick up with me again in 15, verse 36, and we'll just kind of read and, and then go, dive into it and kind of go through it that way. So beginning in verse 36, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. So before we get into um, what comes next, and there are a couple things that we'll see there, I just want to pause for a moment and let us see what's happening here is the importance of following up after responding to Jesus in faith. They, 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 they've gone around, and we've seen that throughout Acts, what's happened is Paul and Barnabas and different people, first Peter and all these people who, who, who put their faith in Jesus, and then Jesus um, ascended to heaven, and he said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to empower and equip you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And so that's what we've been seeing that, like God's a God of his word. He holds to his promises, and that's been happening, and all these incredible things have been happening. People have been putting their faith in Jesus and responding, and they've been kind of going along and going around from, 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 from places to place and people are putting their faith in Jesus. And now we just get a glimpse of them saying, let's circle back around and check in on how people are. Because in their day, a lot like ours, we hear this good news of Jesus. We put our faith in him. We hear about a reconciled relationship with God. And then from there, reconciled relationships with others and with the world around us. And as Andrew Tang said at the beginning, right, all of life is all for Jesus. Well, for some of us, we're like, that's a, that's a great phrase, but what does that really look like? 
So they follow, kind of circle back around and follow up with these people who have just put their trust in Jesus. Because in their day, a lot of people were used to one particular idea of what it meant to have a relationship with God or to interact with God or for the Greeks, the many gods. And so it didn't just come easily and naturally like overnight. Oh, okay, now I know how to do this thing. Now I know how to be a Christian, right? There was a lot of questions. I think in our day, and again, even being in Guatemala and other places, even a church background that I grew up in, a lot of people are exposed to what some call the prosperity gospel, or this idea of, okay, I put my faith in Jesus, I, I, I give my heart over to him, and now it's all just going to be cake, right? It's all going to be gravy from here on out. Like, everything in my life, I, I trust Jesus, he's in control, he's good, God is great, God is good, he knows what he's doing, he has a plan, so I gave my heart to him, I gave my life to him, now it's all going to be easy from here on out. And even in this case, what's happening a lot is a, a, many of these churches are experiencing persecution and, and difficulty and, and struggle. And I know some of us maybe have experienced this where we you know, went to a church camp or we were exposed to the gospel and we put our faith in Jesus and it was like, man, my, my life was tough. We're pretty, pretty poor. We're, um, I have identity struggles and I, you know, my, my home life isn't so good or my work isn't going very well. And then I put my life in Jesus, my faith in Jesus. I, I give my life over to him and I come home and Man, my life's kind of hard. I'm still kind of poor. My, my work is a struggle. I still struggle with my identity, different things like that. And we wonder, like, what do I do? And some even have a crisis of faith. Well, the, the message of the gospel that's abundantly clear throughout this book of Acts and throughout all of the scriptures is that when Jesus calls us to put our faith in him and to enter into a relationship with him, the message is not, hey, put your trust in Jesus and everything's going to change in your life and it's going to be cake and it's all going to be gravy from here on out. No, the message is your circumstances will very likely be the same, but you are different. Your heart is changed. Amen. So now how you relate with and interact with all these different elements of life is going to be different. So in one hand, yes, it's easier because you now have hope and perspective. You see the bigness of God. You see that whatever your view may have been of a father figure, that now as you enter into a relationship with a perfect, loving, heavenly father who demonstrates his love by sending his son, Jesus, to die on the cross, that now informs how you go about every day from here on out. But, but the circumstances may not change. And so that's what's happening here is these two who have been out proclaiming the good news of Jesus, it's not just, hey, say this prayer, do this stuff, and it's, that's it, right? Just kind of take two of these and call me in the morning and I'll just go on and your life will be easy. It's now, no, there's a day, we never get past it. I got to meet with some people this week in their 70s and some other people just earlier this morning who me and them have kind of got a couple years under our belt now and we're talking and we just, the, the theme was God's not done. Like what does he have in store next? He, he's continuing to work and to shape me and to open my eyes to new things and to reveal ways that I, that I didn't see as clearly and now, and, and he never gets done with that. Okay, so that's what's happening here as they circle back around and follow up with these 
churches. And in this next part, these next two sections that we'll see, verses 37 through 41 of chapter 15, and then 16, verses 1 through 5, what we'll see there is, 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 is we, the author, Luke, starts to reveal ways that God is presently at work. Because people in their day, as I said earlier, would really struggle and would question, what does God have to do with, like, now? What does God have to do with this? What does God have to do with this unpaid bill or this strained relationship or this difficult circumstance I'm coming out of or entering into? And so for the people here that were Greek, that were non-Jewish, again, they would be used to many gods, and they would have these ideas, right? Okay, so do you offer up a sacrifice or kind of put this little, little statue or little figure on your, in your, on, on your car, right, on your d- d- dashboard, the hula girl or whatever, you know, whatever it is, like you put this little thing and then you kind of circle your life around and everything will be easy if you pay homage to the right God. That's what the Greek people would be thinking. And then the Jewish people would be thinking, the theme throughout all of Acts has been, is this really new thing trustworthy? And the the main message of Acts, one of them has been, no, this seemingly new thing, this Jesus, this gospel, this Christianity, this following Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection, the gospel, seems really new, but it's actually really, really old. Okay, in essence, it's from the very beginning. It's the same God who created the heavens and earth and laid out his plan and his design for how life will be lived through relationship with him. This is the fulfillment of all those promises. This is, this is the culmination. Jesus, the, the scriptures, as some have said, it, are, are, are whispering his name, is setting up for this. So the message here is this, is God is very presently active in the here and the now. One thing that we love to say here, kind of a phrase that helps with that, is life is naturally supernatural. God is presently involved and active in every way. And specifically in these two ways that we'll see here is through conflict and through cultural contexts. God is presently at work and active. So first, he's present in conflict, and we see that beginning in verse 37, what happens here. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. A conflict arises here. And let's understand this as we press in, just because we could forget and kind of ignore what's happening or kind of just overlook this because we have a really broken understanding of what conflict looks like. And we, we just, you know, we don't understand here that Barnabas and Paul were boys, all right? They were tight. They had been through thick and thin together. Okay, this isn't like, oh, I kind of talked to this person on the water cooler at work, you know, during our break, or we're, you know, Facebook friends, but not, you know, I don't know, I couldn't even pick them out of a lineup. This is, this is like, we're really close. This is, we've been in the trenches together. We've been, we've been chased out of cities together. We've witnessed incredible miracles together. We've wept together. 
we've, we've dug down and really been in it together, serving God alongside one another, entrusting our very lives to the other. Okay, so there's a closeness. This isn't just like, ah, whatever, they had a disagreement and now they unfriended each other. This is, this is real relationship at an intimate level, and yet still we see a disagreement arose. What kind of disagreement? A sharp one. Right? The scriptures don't water down like we do. Ah, right? oh, well, we don't really, t- I don't know, they're okay. You can pray for them. You know, right? Is that how we use, like, we kind of church it up a little bit, and someone asks how someone doing, you're having a disagreement. Well, pray for them. You know, that's our way of, like, a, a dig, right? A l- little jab in there. Well, the author here, Luke, doesn't, doesn't, doesn't give us that. In fact, he doesn't take sides, Right? We, we might want to know, well, who's in the wrong? Who's in the right here? Was it Barnabas or was it, was it Paul? We, he, Luke doesn't give us that information. In fact, we don't know fully even why John Mark left to begin with. Okay, this is the, who John Mark is. Just to rem- If you're taking notes and you want to know these things, I don't even have them up here, but you can look along with me. Our first introduction to John Mark, and we actually said we'll get to him in a couple weeks, was in chapter 12, verse 25, where we first hear they took along with them John, who's called Mark. And then in Acts chapter 13, verses 4 and 5, we hear John Mark assisted them. Okay, so he was like an apprentice, a disciple. He was younger, learning and serving alongside Barnabas and Paul as they went. And then a couple verses later in chapter 13, verse 13, we hear that Paul and his companions set sail, but John Mark went home to Jerusalem. So he left them. He bailed. Okay, we don't know why. We don't know if he had stomach issues, you know, if he wasn't, the food wasn't settling, he was getting sick, if there was conflict, if there was struggle, whatever happened, we, it, it m- m- might have been a really good reason, but John Mark left, and for whatever reason, Paul is really upset about that, and Barnabas is okay with it, right? He's like, let's keep him along. He's still good. And Paul's like, no way. We can't trust someone who just left. And there's a sharp disagreement. Now, how do we view conflict in our day? Most of us see it either as a war to be won, right? Some of us maybe have an unhealthy propensity toward conflict. We move toward it. We're always that person. We play devil's advocate, right? We always want to kind of push back and argue, and, and, and we just, just always want to see people as, as something to kind of keep ourselves above and keep them down and win arguments and have this unhealthy view of it's a war to be won. And on the flip side, some of us see all conflict always as a pain to be avoided at all costs, right? Whatever it is, it's uncomfortable, it's difficult, and surely God doesn't want anything to do with conflict in, in, in either, so I'm just going to stay away from it. Or what does God have to do with conflict? What does grace have to do with conflict? Uh, nothing. It's all about me and dominating other people and just being a jerk and just winning arguments all the time. And so we have these extremes and we struggle to see what does God really have to do with any of it? Well, we get a glimpse in this story here, this, this close relationship of Barnabas and Paul, and conflict is a very present reality. And sometimes you come to a crossroads and you have to just go separate ways. Okay, some of you who are younger in here, maybe you have a college roommate, you both love the Lord, you're both great people, you both, you know, love others well, 
except when they use your toothpaste and leave it out on the counter and, you know, it's like you're a real, you like to like, you know, someone squeezes it like an accordion and the other person is like, no, you got to methodically kind of push it along. I might side with that side of it, but hey, you know, neither, but both are like, right? You're like, I flip the toilet paper front ways, they go under, right? We've all got these different things and sometimes even like little things like that we just see is, you know, and sometimes we get really silly. And yes, the, the, the scriptural principle is always lay down your rights for the good of others, okay? Be humble, don't, don't seek your own, all these things. But sometimes reality sets in and it's just good to say, hey, at this point in time, even in, in a church setting, we just had a membership class. And one of the things I love is the very last page in our membership packet is how to leave a church well, right? Like we're honest enough and, and, and maybe self-aware enough to know that not everyone's going to be here for the long haul, that, that there are good reasons to leave a church. You're called to help plant a, a different church or you're sent out or whatever it might be. And those are good things. And sometimes there are still good reasons, but it's really difficult. There's a disagreement or something, and we should still see that God didn't just tap out and say, oh, I don't, I don't deal with conflict. I don't work in that. But see, okay, God might still be very presently doing something through this conflict. And that's what happens here. Because throughout the rest of Acts, what we'll see is that both parties, if you will, see incredible fruit. The gospel goes forward. God in his providence uses this conflict to, to see great things happen. Both, both parties go forward. I don't think they like talk trash about the other. Again, Luke, who we learn, actually stayed with Paul and was a traveling companion with Paul. So the author of this, but he's not like, Paul's my boy, you know, Barnabas and Mark, those guys, you know, pray for them. Right? He doesn't do that. He doesn't insert that. He just says, hey, a conflict arose and you need to know about it. But he doesn't really give a lot more details there. One little snippet we get, because we have the whole Bible, right? We get to read and know what goes on in all these different things, is in 2 Timothy chapter 4, which we'll, we'll actually meet this guy named Timothy in a moment, okay? Stay tuned in a couple seconds, actually. We'll meet this guy, Timothy. But we learn that when Paul is at the end of his life, about to, about to die, actually, he's imprisoned and he's kind of under house arrest and he's writing a letter to Timothy, who becomes like a son to him, and he writes him, and he says, I'm all alone. Only Luke is with me. Okay, the author of this, which is just kind of cool, too. He's like, only Luke is with me. But he says, so you should come visit me and bring John Mark, for he's, he's good for my soul. It, it, would war it would be profitable for me to have him here right now. Isn't that incredible? Just the way God works and just in these kind of ways that we would often miss out when we have these broken views of conflict and we see there's nothing good that can come from it, eventually reconciliation and seemingly even a deeper level of intimacy comes through this kind of conflict. That ultimately, Paul would say, bring Mark along because he's good for me. In his last days, he wants this person that at first he says, I have a conflict we need to separate over. Now he says, Bring him along. I'd be encouraged to, to see him, to talk with him, to pray with him. God works. God is presently, actively involved in the here and the now, in seemingly normal everyday life, even in conflict. 
And then this next section that could be maybe even a little bit tricky, um, we also see that God works very presently through cultural contexts. So pick up with me in chapter 16, verses 1 through 5 there. So Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy. Okay, you can say, welcome, Timothy. Welcome to Acts. Good to meet you. We'll hear a lot more about this guy. Well, Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him. Whoa, what? Okay, we'll get into that. Because of the Jews who were in those places, but they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them uh, for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So again, that, 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 that follow-up that we talked about earlier is happening, right? They're going forward. They're encouraging churches. They're sharing what the elders and the apostles have, have talked about and all these different things that are happening And he brings this guy along, Timothy, right? A new believer, someone who grew up in a faithful home that was Jewish. We learn in 1 and 2 Timothy that his mother and grandmother had an incredible spiritual legacy. Let me just pause for a minute because we don't often talk about this. His dad was a Greek. This is the only time we hear about him. But the incredible spiritual legacy, maybe like many of us in our homes, was carried on through faithful women, his grandmother and his mother, Like in our day, sadly, a lot of men are absent. They bail, they go out, they're gone. And yet his grandmother and his mother are incredibly faithful. And they they pour into this guy. They disciple him and they raise him up. But he's not circumcised yet. Sorry. So as an adult, Paul has him circumcised. Now, let's pause here for a minute and, and, and ask some questions. Because where we've been through Acts, we've been walking through Acts, and Paul has gone on all these missionary journeys, and that's what's happening here. He's going to different places. And he went through Galatia, right, which is modern-day Turkey, kind of central modern-day Turkey. And we have a letter, a book of the Bible called Galatians. And if you read Galatians or have read Galatians, and I'll read a couple excerpts from it here, um, you know a couple things about Paul and his ministry and things that he says. And one of them he really addresses significantly in the letter to the Galatians is circumcision. And he really draws some hard lines in the sand and says, no, listen, circumcision, which means if you're circumcised in that day, it had everything to do with your religious affiliation and you were, you were Jewish. And so a lot of people were teaching that in order to be a Christian, in order to be a follower of Jesus, you had to be circumcised. That's not our day doesn't look that way, but let's be real guys. We have other things, right? That we say, well, okay, you want to give your life to Jesus? That's awesome. Um, how do you vote? Okay, because we got to talk about that. It's pretty important. Okay, are you, are you blue or red? Right? Are you right or left? Because that's one of the things that you need to get right before you can be a follower of Jesus. Right? We have other things, whatever it might be. How do you dress? Do you, you know, have this, know the secret handshake? I don't know. We don't have handshakes. But whatever it might be, we insert these silly things that are, that are like legalistic weights as Paul even refers to him, and one of them is circumcision. So why in the world would he now have this grown man, Timothy, circumcised? He, he clearly has some strong feelings about circumcision. In fact, 
in in Galatians uh, chapter 5, verse 12, when he's writing about this whole thing, and these people, these Judaizers, again, let's not just look down our noses so quickly because we have our own version today, but these people who are saying, do do uh, X, Y, and Z, and then you'll be a good Christian, then you'll be a good follower of Jesus. Well, these people, their thing was become Jewish first, and then you can be a good follower of Jesus. And, and so they'd say, yeah, you have to be circumcised. And Paul says, okay, you want to be circumcised? Chapter 5, verse 12, if you want to look there, he says, hey, if you want to start cutting things off, why don't you just go all the way and cut it all off? He's, yeah, amen. He, li- he literally says that. He literally says, I wish that you would emasculate yourselves. Oh, hello. This is the Bible. Welcome. God's word. All right, profitable for teaching and rebuke. Sometimes harsh words help us get rebuked a little bit and see the seriousness. Paul says, no, you add to the gospel. In so doing, you take away the gospel. One uh, author and pastor has said, uh, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. And so kind of the flip side of that is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's the gospel. And Paul is fired up about that. In fact, before we get into why Timothy would have to get circumcised, one of his other kind of apprentices is this guy named Titus. And he's a follower uh, of Jesus now. He puts his trust in Jesus. He's not part Jewish and part Greek like Timothy. He's just like straight up Greek. And he's with Paul, and he's going around to these churches in Galatia. And in chapter 2, uh, verses 3 through 5 of Galatians, so you can, you can mark that down again if you want, he specifically talks about Titus, and Paul says, I will not let Titus be circumcised. And these people in that church are like, hey, we can accept this guy, this Greek guy, Titus. Maybe we'll accept him. We'll learn from him. He's got some good things to say, but he doesn't vote the right way. No, but he's not circumcised. And Paul says, and he's not going to be circumcised because you keep piling on to the gospel and I'm not going to let you get a loophole or think that anything needs to be added to the gospel. And he says, Titus will not be circumcised, and he's going to be a walking, living illustration for you that, 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 that you can't add anything to the gospel of Jesus. And now you got to believe that Titus is like, ah, it's kind of not fair. You know, Titus doesn't have to. Why do I? Right? So why would, why would Timothy have to be circumcised? Well, what you have here is Timothy is a bridge builder, a cultural, contextual bridge builder. His dad is Greek and his mom is Jewish. And now in our day, just so you know, anyone who kind of follows like Jewish, Jewish traditions and stuff in our day, they, it actually the Jewish lineage is passed down through the mom. So usually, and there are even a lot of, you know, my dad's Catholic, my mom's Jewish. Well, in those cases, nowadays, a lot of people would still be Jewish and would be bar mitzvahed and all these things. But in this day, you see, he was not circumcised. And so when Paul is taking him with him, he sees a, a, a contextual opportunity for the gospel, that while these churches are making sense of how is God, the creator of everything, 
who laser focused in on one particular group of people, the Jewish people. He formed them. He called Abraham, and then he called Moses, and, and then he, he began all these traditions and practices, and he's forming a people, the Jewish people. And now Jesus comes and says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And then he tells his followers, go as you're going, make disciples and throughout the whole world, and I'm with you. And then again, as I said earlier, in Acts chapter, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to carry this gospel message, this good news throughout the entire world. And, and he says he's forming a people. In Philippians chapter 2, we see that at the name of Jesus, every, every, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow from the entire world. So in these early days of the church forming, they're saying, how does this make sense? How do you have Jewish people and Greek people? And Timothy is a strategic instrument of God to enter in and to help shape and form this people. And in his case, he needs to be circumcised in order for the Jewish people to see him as a fellow Jewish person. Now, again, just to be clear, because this is kind of a hot subject in our day, circumcision, because we're using that. I don't know that it's even necessary, but in our day, it's absolutely, it's, you do you, all right? You figure out what you want to do. My older brother is adamantly anti his circumcision, and it has nothing to do with faith at all. It's all about being a kind of hippie-ish granola, you know, person and thinking it's, I don't all these different things and other people who do decide. It's like that's a non-issue, okay? That's why I'm talking about how you vote and all these different things. In our day, there are other things that we need to be hearing and bringing through our filter and our lenses as we talk about this stuff. Okay, so back to this. The main idea is a cultural bridge builder that God wants to reveal how presently and actively involved he is in real everyday life. And so Timothy has an inroad that most other people don't have. And, and, and a couple people come to mind for me. One is, I mean, he's getting a lot of kind of shout-outs, you know, here today, but David Calasuelos, who's up here and who read earlier and who led our team to Guatemala, is absolutely this. He comes to mind as I was reading about a cultural bridge builder, about, about this guy, Timothy, who really makes sense in both worlds. And, 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 and I got to see this on display. David was born in Mexico, and then his parents moved here as, like, missionaries were called to move here to the U.S. to help advance and bring forward the kingdom of God. And then ultimately they moved here to Tucson where his dad now pastors a church and has for the last number of years. And, and they've seen incredible fruit and faithful ministry happening there. And David, it was really cool to see this in Guatemala. You see and that he really is just used mightily by God in, in, in two different, seemingly different worlds in different contexts that he'd be playing with the kids, throwing them in the water, speaking fluent Spanish, just tearing it up on the soccer field, doing all and everyone's like, man, who's this guy? And, and a lot of people are like, wait, he's with your group and trying to make sense of it. And, and it was really cool. You could see that. And then you'd remember he'd be off with this other guy and be, become an Insta-famous, you know, Instagramming and being like, he's got all these followers and he's totally a... a some of you don't even know that, okay? Our um, older crowd, I'm with you, okay? I don't get it either. Selfies, all, I don't know how this works, but um, it's important. It's used by God, right? It, it seriously is. You see people have influence in their culture and their demographic through 
taking photos. So, okay, let me explain this. Instagram, it's a little app on a phone, cell phones, okay? Some of you guys know there's these things called phones. It's no longer connected to a cord in your house. And so we're getting there. Well, Instagram is this little app on there, and you can take pictures of all kinds of different things, and right? Cultural diversity, generational diversity, right? We're, we're, we're there. That's what our church is all about, growing together, loving those that you might not understand. Well, David is also like a total insider in that world. He met people in the airport in Houston who were Insta-famous also, and they were able to talk and interact because they had liked each other's pictures on Instagram. All that to say, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about right now, all right? Um, there will be an interpreter later who can help you. To... <laughs> well, as an example, though, I got to see that on display through David and through a number of other people that we know of here in our church who you see are incredible bridge builders, and it's important, and it's good, and God has a plan in it. And let me tell you this, Kay, look at me right now. Every one of us fits into that category in some way or another. I, some are uniquely gifted to be missionaries, sent ones to cross cultures, to go. Okay, like I said, David is uniquely gifted, I think, in that way, like most of us are not. And where you see him just, it's like he, he, he doesn't even have to flip a switch. He's, he's here, he's here, it's just who he is, and God's working in that way. But all of us have different things about us that God wants to use to inform and shape particular cultural contexts. And some of it might even be things that we're ashamed of or afraid of and we don't want to, want, to, want to admit. Some of us have things that God wants to use and we just want to get as far away from it as possible. For some of us, it might be our background I share here sometimes. I'm from a broken home. I grew up in more of like a gang kind of violent kind of home and a lot of drug use and things like that. And so those are things I kind of really connect with. And, and I've gotten to see God use that and just be more, more comfortable in those environments. And, 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 and there are other people. I was just talking to a guy the other day who's planning a church in Catalina Hills area, and I told him, I said, that is the hardest demographic for me. I might look like I would fit in right, right there, big, but I don't. I'm like, I don't know how to relate here. I'm, I've got all these insecurities and all these different things that show up, and God's called us to be where we are and called me to kind of le lean into certain demographics that we do. So some of it might be our background, our family of origin. Some of it might be the language that we speak, our particular cultural background, and it also might be struggles we've walked through. And let me tell you, God doesn't waste anything. For some, there might be a history of alcohol or substance abuse. There might be a, a, a temptation towards same-sex attraction. There might be mental illness that we ourselves have gone through or others in our life and our family have walked through and that we see it as just something really bad to get away from and that God isn't involved with and God doesn't want to use in any way. And that's just not true. God wants to redeem, reach into, transform every cultural context, every subset of society. Now, now kind of pause for a second. Yes, hear me on this, because I have a recovering alcoholic brother who's maybe going on three months, maybe right now, sober, and has not seen more than that for the last 
15 or 20 years. And in his case, we've had a lot of conversations like, dude, you're not called to be like the prophet to the alcoholic community, right? You need to go to AA because you need help and you need to be in communities that are going to help you not drink. And you don't need to just go right now and show up into the bar and say, hey, I'm here to tell you about Jesus. Pass me another one, you know, is usually how it would go for him, right? So if you have a struggle or something, it's not, you know, you still need wisdom. But it also doesn't mean that you need to run away from or be ashamed of whatever has happened in your life to form you into who you are right now. Okay, again, I said some things that are usually, even in the church, sadly, tragically, things that we run away from and are ashamed of. Mental illness, same-sex attraction. Some of these things that we're like, ah, I don't even, I can't say that here. I can't bring it up. Who knows who and what God might want to use you to enter into, to walk alongside, to help redeem. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's not just man time, bro time, tattoo that on your chest while running through the fire. That's like everything, every part of life. God is very, very presently involved in every aspect of life, even through conflict, even through cultural context. I know another guy, I don't know if he's here today, but another guy who went with us to Guatemala has such a beautiful story that brought this to mind. He shared his testimony with these kids, many of whom, well, first of all, because of malnutrition, look like they're, you know, like six or seven, and they're actually like 12 or 13 years old. And also, many of whom, because of their circumstances, have maybe like a first grade reading level, if that. And this guy stood up and shared his testimony of how he, he has grown up with a learning disability, a couple of different ones, and he was in special education his entire life. All the way through school, this guy went through special education. It's been a struggle, and that's something, right, that you would kind of usually not want to admit, and what are people going to think when they hear that stuff? And he got to stand up there and say, now I'm a teacher. I went to the U of A, I struggled through education there, and now I've gotten to, gotten to turn my life into helping other kids that maybe uh, didn't have someone like me to come alongside them and say, you can still do it, you still have value and worth, you still have a mind that has been given by God to reflect his glory, and you can use it for his glory and others' good. And it, 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 like, I, I wept hearing this guy share his story of something that most people would want to shy away from and be ashamed of, and how that's been used to glorify God and love others. So as we close, I just want to ask, how do we respond right now? How do you need to come before Jesus in our time of response? Do you need to confess maybe a, what would be called a, 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 a functional deism, right? Which is God just gets things rolling, but he's distant and uninvolved. Some of us in here have a confessional Christianity, but a functional theism where God is distant and he doesn't interact. And some of us have aspects of our lives that we're ashamed of, that we can't reconcile. How does God want to use this for his glory and others' good? And ultimately, even in that, our joy? Let me encourage you and call you, all of us, to come before Jesus in our time of prayer and and, and response, and to recognize and to declare in our singing together, in our time of prayer together, that God is good and he is actively involved 
in everyday life, even through seemingly normal ways. He's present, and he's involved, and he's in control, and he's using you and me, his people, to carry out his incredible works. Amen? Let's close in prayer together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we've had to hear your word, to be reminded of your goodness, even in circumstances that maybe we don't make sense of your goodness. Lord, that maybe even conflict can be used by you to carry out your good purposes, Lord, to expose sin in our own lives and to ultimately move us toward one another somehow. Lord, that you might use the things in our past that are broken and painful, and yet you have an incredible plan for them. Lord, you want to reveal your glory and your splendor and your creativity through things that the world and maybe even our parents and maybe even our church and maybe even ourselves say, no, you should be ashamed of that. You should never tell anyone about that. Lord, may we embody the truth that in you, Jesus, there is nothing to prove and nobody to impress. Lord, that you are working supernaturally through seemingly ordinary everyday life. Lord, may we be encouraged and affirmed and compelled to respond and worship individually and communally as your people. In Jesus' name, amen.